Welcome to the podcast, Most People Don't But You Do, stories and conversations about the benefits received and the fulfillment enjoyed by doing what most people don't. This is Bart Berkey, CEO and founder of Most People Don't. We're a motivational storytelling and training company where we provide enabling tools to empower you to do what most people don't. We have a new mission, to move others to do through stories and resonating reminders. Today's guest is one of the smartest people that I know, one of the wittiest people that I know, and one of the most strategic people that I know. You just earned the trifecta there. Uh, his name is Scott Wiseman. He's Senior Vice President and General Manager at Apple Leisure Group. He and I went to school together at Penn State University, so we have a few stories to share there. And I just want to read a little bit more about his background. So he's been with Apple Leisure Group for two years, two months. Before that, president of Travel Impressions for almost four years. Prior to that, Cox and Kings, president of the Americas for four years. President USA of Abercrombie & Kent. Vice president of marketing with Accor, general manager of Sofitel Philadelphia. And some incredible leadership roles in addition to those that I just stated. But Scott, let's just have you talk and welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Bart. I appreciate it. And uh, would you mind printing out all those wonderful things you said so I can yes. you know, just keep them and frame them up in my office? Is that all right? Yes. And we are recording this so you can send it out to whoever you want. Okay. All the family. All right. is, yeah. Fine. Yeah. So they'll remember. Uh, so Scott and I had the pleasure of being able to reconnect just recently with Apple Leisure Group, um, and thank you again for the opportunity, was able to present to some of your um, top travel advisors that are supportive of Apple Leisure Group in Cancun. But what's really cool is we finished school together and we always, there was a core group about four or five of us that kind of always stayed in touch. But Scott, you have accelerated so much, you know, president, 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 um, as well as respect in the industry. So I would like our listeners just to hear a little bit about your background growing up. So this would be before Penn State. Can you tell us about growing up, siblings, and what were some of your major early influencers? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so my both my parents were educators. My mom was an elementary school teacher and my dad uh, a principal at a, at a high school in Philadelphia. So um, it was tough for me in school because I could get away with nothing. Uh, that was uh, a unique part of it. But um, my dad had multiple jobs and multiple businesses, had an unbelievable work ethic. And it was just uh, myself and my younger brother uh, growing up. And uh, I was lucky because um, I have, a, as you know, a pretty unique sense of humor. And so half the time in school, um, the teachers would cut me a break put in some maybe Phillies trivia questions in order to get uh, my grade up where, where I needed to. And uh, I'll, I'll never forget if this kind of sums it up. My parents came to like uh, sixth grade parent teacher night and uh, <laughs> it was American history or something, which my dad was a teacher of, by the way, before he was a, a principal. And uh, I had a D in the class at that point. And the, uh, my dad asked, why, why is Scott getting a D? And the teacher responded, because I really like him. <laughs> so. So that, that kind of summed up the, I, I tortured my parents uh, pretty much um, through, uh, through school. Um, I, the classes I loved, the teachers I loved, I did really well in. Um, loved to work though, before I could even drive. That was kind of one of the things that really motivated me was biking for a job when I was 14, 
convincing someone to hire me. They'd pick me up on a Friday, drop me off on a Sunday. I'd work in the catering business uh, around uh, Philadelphia and decorating business. So just the passion to get out and work um, seemed to be so much more of a drive for me. So school became a means to that really for me as I was growing up. Yeah. And I didn't know those things about you. And, it, and it, it's so strange because I interviewed someone last week and I was asking about their background and both their parents were educators. And I, I shared this statement, probably about 50% of people that I've been interviewing on the podcast, their parents have been educators. And my, my, both of my parents were uh, art teachers, so not necessarily principals or historical educators, but the creative type. So it's certainly fun to hear about your background as well. Now, was your brother, your younger brother, was he kind of, um, a, a, does he have a similar type of personality that you have? A, a different, actually. I'm sure you know you have kids, and sometimes you raise two kids in the same house, and they end up completely different with uh, how they are. He uh, He's in the financial world. It's a great place for him. But one of the things that is consistent is his work ethic also. He uh, uh, had dyslexia growing up that was, um, you know, could be hampering in school and made things a little bit difficult. And he really worked super hard as a little kid uh, to kind of pull himself out of it. And he was actually the straight A student um, all the way through. So I really respected what, what he was able to do. But, and we were four years apart in school. So that was just enough for me to kind of want to, you know, do my own thing. And because he was so much younger and, and grade wise. So we're really close today. We talk a lot uh, during the week, but uh, growing up very different. A matter of fact, um, I would babysit him at an early age. My parents would go out every Saturday night from the time I was like 10 or 11. I would watch my, my little brother. And for me, that was fun. Like, let's take the TV apart. Let's microwave an egg. Let's you know, uh -huh. play. and every time my parents came home, he would tell what I did. So, oh no, <laughs> we, we, we had a very different uh, alignment of what fun was growing up. But, you know, today we're, we're in good shape. Yeah. And Scott, what about your sense of humor? Did that come from your parents or is it just something that you were born with? And I know your son is, uh, is a, a comedian, actually, at this point. So where do you think the comedy and the sense of humor side came yeah, I, my dad really loved slapstick humor, and we would watch the Gong Show, the original version of the Gong Show. Growing up, my dad would be laughing till he cried over some of the silliest uh, stuff that you've uh, you've ever seen. So I don't know; it just became innate, I think, from there, and just became one of. I just really enjoyed, um, you know, laughing. And I, I heard a, a quote at one point as I was growing up. Someone said, you know don't take yourself serious all the time, but take what you do serious. And that kind of became a kind of a mantra for me where it was okay to let people see that, that side of you that, you know, you could have fun, you could, you know, crack jokes, but it didn't take away from how important, you know, the job was or the things that you were doing. Yeah, and it always seems that you know when that you, when you can turn on the humor and when you need to turn it off. Were you always like that? Well, I, I didn't always know when to turn it off, if that's what you're, if yeah, that's that's, what you're that's asking. Yeah, that's the question. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, there have been some unique times where maybe I went a little too too far um, that I'm like, oops, maybe that wasn't the uh, the right thing to, to say or do. So, um, yeah, no, it was, uh, I don't think I ever really hurt anyone. And, and if I did make anyone upset because someone didn't take something funny, I really only remember that influence. A friend of mine at Penn State where a you know practical joke on his birthday maybe went a little too far, 
Um, and I felt terrible. And we're friends today, so that's not, not a problem. But that was really the only time where I felt maybe a little a little too yeah. far. So yeah, discretion is important. Yeah, you can tell me that offline. I want to hear. Yeah, I hear it's story. a good one. Because I probably know him too. <laughs> him or her. Uh, Scott, there was a word that you shared that I think really epitomizes you. It's likable. And, and I do want to get into kind of high school when you thought you wanted to get into hospitality. But let me just insert this little compliment. At the conference that you and your team hired me to speak at in Cancun, when you were on stage, the main stage, and there were thousands of people in the audience, you got so much, um, so much clapping, so much praising, so much hooting and hollering. And I just think that that's, that, that is so you, that you are a great business leader, you're very strategic, but you are extremely likable. So I do wanna get back to the likability factor here uh, in a little bit, but can you tell us a little bit about high school? And when did you think that you wanted to get into hospitality? What were you like in high school? <laughs> a unique part. I'm, I'm really proud to say that actually three of uh, my closest you know, friends, we've stayed friends through high school. One of them particularly is someone I talked to a lot of best friends since you know we were like 14 or 15. I, I was that kid, meaning from the point of view of, so after a trip that I took with my family to Acapulco, which is what got me really passionate about the travel business, I put on my car that I was driving at 16 to high school, the bullhorns, and put in a musical horn I installed myself. Um, and I was that kid that drove around. In the middle of winter, I wore the OP corduroy shorts and Hawaiian shirts. So was I the popular kid group? No, not really. <laughs> was I, uh, you know, the athletic one? No, not really. But I had a lot of fun and, um, you know, class clown was not too far out of the reach, so to speak. But yeah, I really um, kind of, you know, just did what I thought was fun and what I did with myself. And I had a good group of friends and I was happy with that and everything went, went well. Actually, and it's fun too. I don't know if you've ever done this. I've gone back and read my yearbooks with my kids. Um, and that's funny when they look at the comments and see what people wrote and, and things like that. That's a, that's a really fun thing to, to do. As you can see, like I find as I'm getting older, it's fascinating how people remember me versus what I remember, because there's always a different viewpoint. And so uh, sometimes I'm like, I don't remember that at all that way, but okay, maybe it wasn't. Yeah. And, and then when you finished high school and you started at Penn State, I can't remember, did you start and select hospitality right away? Or is it something that you discovered? No, it, that was my choice. I, growing up, um, again, I tested my parents a lot with different things. So I might've been punished a couple of times, but my parents had, t had a television in my room, which I thought was amazing. So I, I loved TV growing up and there was a show hotel, which was kind of towards the end, you know, when we were growing up, James Brolin and Connie Fran, I can't remember the people, but it was an amazing show. And I was like, wow, this is really cool behind the scenes of a hotel. And then my parents took us only on two trips, one to Disney and one to Acapulco when I was in 11th grade. And when I came back from this resort, uh, this princess resort in Acapulco, I was like, this is the business I have to go into. So when I found out Penn State had a hotel program, it was like a no brainer for me. I, that's the program I wanted to, to get into. I had no doubt. What do you love about the industry? Well, it's probably everything that you've been covering about who I am. It's what I love about it is you don't have to don't have to come from a, 
a degree in hospitality to be in the, the business or be successful. I get energy from being around other people and this job, you know, offers that in, in spades, which is amazing. Um, and there's so many different things to do and really making people happy and organizing. I love the logistics and I love the concept of how things work behind the scenes. And if you're going to do it, you might as well do it in an industry that's going to be fun and allows travel. And so I just grew to love it even more. And even to now I'm on the tour operating side of it, just the whole thing, whether it's cruising or the airline industry or uh, anything. And I think while I respected it a great deal, even through the pandemic, that like the travel industry survived is mind blowing to think about how that's even possible after the, the pandemic. I have so much more respect and, and love and admiration for those that, you know, toughed it out and are still here today doing what they love in this business. Yeah, without a doubt. And it's just the, the term I presented to a group um, about two weeks ago and the clients put on a sticky note, how were they feeling in 2021? And how are they feeling in 2022? And many of these were involved with travel and hospitality to the customers. And they were all saying very negative things about 2021. I was scared. It was uncertain. I was worried. And then 2022, besides being positive and optimistic, they were listing words like courageous and resilient. And that's really what we're seeing. The people that were able to weather the storm have been are going to be even more successful. You know, and you and I were talking before we hit record about the future of the industry. Um, what are your words to the people that are listening right now? What is your belief with regard to, you know, the tour operating side of business and in general for travel? Yeah, it looks bright. And, you know, we were on a roll attracting more and more younger people. It's perfect for someone that wants to have flexibility, even before work from home was a thing that you do all the time now, um, and the industry and travel. And I think that, you know, the generation of our kids and, and so forth have grown up with, with travel being part of everything that they do, that it's still a powerful part, not just for places that depend on it for, you know, economic reasons, but just the feeling. I mean, think about the number one feeling, right? When you track the sentiment of people that were stuck at home, um, when you can't travel as a result of a pandemic versus a financial crisis or this, that, and the other way you kind of make do, it was such pent up. It was the number one choice of people wanted to spend time with friends and family. People wanted to go somewhere and see something different. And they were willing to dedicate whatever portion of their finances they had to make it happen. So, you know, I don't take that lightly or take it for granted. It's like, great, now let's make that happen and fulfill it. So I think it's, if we cleared all of these things, that have happened, you know, forever on travel and are still here. It's it's going to be around a long, long time. Talking to my brother-in-law this weekend, he's in a staffing business, and he happens to recruit recruiters that find temporary replacement positions. And I said, "Are you concerned about your business? Because I'm hearing and I'm seeing that it's really hard to find people." And he's just like, "Yeah, we have some good strategies in place." And I said, "Is it is it proof?" Is it um, not recession proof, but is it just environmentally proof? Like, is it, will it handle all obstacles, his business? And he's just like, well, no, not really. And I said, I compared it to our business in the travel business, in the tour operating business, in hospitality. So, you know, whoever would have thought that people would have stopped 
traveling. It just, right, it's almost unimaginable. Scott, I want to get back to um, your success, right? And I knew you, again, great friends throughout college. When we finished school, a lot of us were going into management training programs. And you seem to just accelerate your career beyond. And congratulations, and I'm so proud of you and proud to know you. But when we were getting positions of, you know, manager to senior manager, you were already, you know, vice president, you were already then president. What do you think you attribute some of your success in the industry to? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. I, you know, I think, first of all, I was really lucky. I met some amazing people um, along the way that really gave me feedback or somehow invested in me and saw things in me that maybe I wouldn't have even realized and kept me on the straight and narrow that there's no way. And actually coming out of Penn State, probably Dr. Bordy, I mean, for sure, he, he knew what I was up to before I even tried to do something. He was clever and he embraced it and he gave me good advice and he pulled me aside and he said, look, he said, you're going to take this class. I know it's harder. You're going to get, you know, a, a dual, you know, uh, minor. You're going to, and things like, I'm like, what? He said, trust me, you're going to do it. And he held me, you know, accountable. I mean, he, he's, he caught me, by the way, jumping that parade. You know, we had the homecoming parade. And I jumped the army vehicle that was behind Susie McConnell, who was the yeah. uh, grandmaster. And he saw me do it and called me out on it in class. If you if you were in that class, the yeah, he he called me out and said, "Oh well, Scott, your group was working real hard. I want you to know that they know now that you were uh, in a parade." <laughs> so he he was a great person to get me on the straight and narrow and push for more. And actually, when I took the job out of um, college, I had offers with a couple different hotel companies. They all paid more than the one I chose um, because the one that I chose was the one that was willing to invest in me from a sales uh, perspective because I felt that that was really where my passion was at the time. Now, today, I would consider myself more of an operations guy uh, as time went on, but back then, I said I wanted to be in sales, and only one company was willing to do that, um, and they paid less, so that was the job I took. <laughs> And went from there. What do you think Dr. Bordy saw in you? Did he ever share what he saw in you? So I've talked to him, you know, uh, it's been a couple of years when I went back, brought my kids to see a game at Penn State. I, you know, made a point to, to sit with him. Um, I, you know, here's what I think, because he, he was like, he knew that I had potential. <laughs> he knew that I needed to harness the energy that I had, um, you know, with, with having fun, but working hard. Uh, but I think he saw the competitive side of me, which sometimes when you're the fun guy and, and all that stuff, sometimes people miss that, oh, well, wait, he's really competitive. And while I didn't play a lot of sports, but the fact that, you know, at one of the meals, it wasn't important for me to, to finish the meal and get a good grade. I wanted to beat the record. I wanted the fastest time. I wanted the most earliest signups. I wanted, you know, things like that. And I think he recognized that and tried to you know, foster that is why he pushed me and said, keep going. Uh, you'd be surprised what you can accomplish. And do you see that side in you still, the competitiveness? Absolutely. Matter of fact, I have a joke with my current boss. All you have to do is double dog dare me to do something that seems impossible and I'm in. So 
yeah, to this okay. day. What, what a great quality and what a great, and I'm referencing him as Dr. Bordy, Pete, right? When we go up to see him, and I know he has since retired, but it's always Dr. Bordy is like, no, call me Pete. But I was like, right. that sounds weird, you know? <laughs> um, when he saw that competitiveness in you, do you think, like, where do you think that came from? Were your parents instilling that in you? Was your brother, were your friends? Any idea where that competitiveness came from? Because as you're making the statements that you didn't want it just to be getting A in the class, you wanted to beat the record. You wanted to be the best. You want to have the, like, I remember all of those things about you now. Where do you think that came from? You know, I, I had to pick it up. From, from some people, I think where it came from early on was um, just a knowledge, just I needed to kind of know that, you know, things I could control. Now, again, I, I mentioned in school, though, if it was a class I didn't like, I maybe, unless I could see that the outcome was coming somewhere else down the road, I would do really well in every class that I really loved and put a lot of energy in. The other ones, it wasn't, you know, wasn't the top of mind. I wasn't, like I didn't chase an A, in every class, right? For sure. But I chased an A in the ones I really loved and the ones where I had a connection with the teacher and the ones where, you know, went from there. So I was picking and choosing all along the way how to kind of put that energy forward. So being likable, being competitive, working hard, finding the balance, what else do you think has attributed to your success to where you are now? And again, going back to the example of you know, I went from sales manager to senior sales manager. I went from senior manager to regional director. And you had probably already been president four or five times. And it's not, it's not a comparison, but I'm just saying your career accelerated. So besides those characteristics and qualities, what else, and I know it might not be easy to think about or to say, but what else makes you so darn good? Because you are so darn good, Scott. Well, I, I appreciate that. And I've given it thought, a lot of self-reflection. I, I think the common thing is that I knew how to take advantage of an opportunity. I knew who to um, volunteer, for example. So I remember when I was a sales manager at a hotel in Orlando, it was a big resort, 750 rooms. And I was a sales manager, junior sales manager. And the manager on duty program came up. And not all the salespeople. I mean, I was young. I was in my 20, early 20s. And I said, I want to do it. And they're like, you want to do it? I said, I can do it. And so I volunteered and I was going to become the best manager on duty. I could the whole time I'm sitting here, I'm in my 20s and I'm in control of this hotel for an entire weekend. It was amazing. Um, so I did things like that all the time. I mean, even in today's, you know, where I work, I'm constantly volunteering for things uh, within the company, even not necessarily with my responsibilities because I like to get involved. I want to use the passion. I want to help wherever, wherever I can. So I think when it came time for promotions, um, people thought about me because I acted like I was ready for the, the next role. And one of the big promotions when I first became a director of sales, this was a guy who recruited me out of Penn State uh, with what today is Intercontinental Hotel Group, but was a bass. He sat me down for dinner because uh, I was moving to Columbus, Ohio to, to be a director of sales. And he said to me, he said, I don't get it. He goes, what do you mean? He goes, are you not nervous? You're not scared? I'm like, no. I said, I'm concerned and we'll be prepared. He was blown away because here I was 24 going to be a director of sales at the Crown Plaza. And, and he was like baffled. And I never really thought about it because it didn't do it. But he was so, he just wanted to have so much conversation around the concept of me not being concerned that this is my next step. And do you think that you are a confident person? 
Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. I, you know, he, here's where the misnomer is, right? Where, and I'm sure you have this too, because I've seen you present and it's amazing. And um, people assume, oh, it's just natural. You're good at it. But I know behind the scenes, you're preparing everything. It doesn't mean you're not good at like, you know, handling things that come up, but everything I do, I say, I prepare like it's the Super Bowl, even if it's a scrimmage. And, and that's the key is it looks good, but I was up the night before sweating and I was worried and I was, you know, what am I going to do? But I prepared, you know, luck, luck favors the prepared, right? So I made sure that I was prepared. So a lot of people think, oh, it's just natural. And then I keep telling them it's exactly the opposite. (laughs) I said, there's a certain level of comfort, but you could train yourself to do almost anything if you're, you're able. So, yeah, ah, that is incredible. And the listeners that are participating in, in this podcast, I'm sure I'm taking notes, Scott, and I'm sure they're taking notes as well. So a couple of things that I wrote down is you prepare. It's like, the, like it's the Super Bowl, even if it's a scrimmage. And you also had said something else that you acted like you were ready, perhaps even if you weren't ready, you gave that perception that you were ready because you knew you would work hard enough and prepare enough to be able to handle just about anything. Yeah. And and maybe somewhat blindly, because I don't think there was ever a job where I said, I can't do it. Mm-hmm. Um, I figured I would get in there and figure it out as, as we went. I think now that I'm older in different positions, I would go, wait, I'm not the best person for that, but mm-hmm. someone else is. But yeah, anytime something came open or it was a challenge, I raised my hand. And I think that's why I moved really quickly is um, through those, those opportunities. And, and again, in each of those jobs, most of the people that I encountered were really good for me to learn from. And so they helped me kind of get into that next one. Uh, sounds like mentorship is also very important. People giving you the right type of advice at the right time. Are you and, able? And, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. No, I was just going to ask. Is that something that you have time for that you make a priority to be able to mentor people and help other people along in their career, whether it's your media team or others? Yeah, so I like to do it unofficially and officially. Mm -hmm. So I take, and I tell my team this all the time, the most responsible job we have, it's not only taking care of our clients, but we're, we're helping people make a livelihood. Employees that work in an organization are the most important things that we can focus on. I don't want to set them up to fail. I want to help coach them when they move. So the time day in and day out is really important. Um, So I do take a lot of energy to put that forward. I've learned, I was lucky again with a lot of companies to take a lot of the um, organizational behavior type of classes and really understand um, how people tick and how to get the most out of them and, uh, you know, behavioral interviewing techniques to make sure you hire the right people. So that I have always spinning in the background. But even today, I have to say, I'm, I'm fortunate. I volunteer. I'm a, an executive um, coach for some people that go through McKinsey um, leadership program within our company. I head one of our diversity and inclusion um, uh, circles for all of ALG. And again, nothing makes me particularly qualified for them other than me just wanting to be there and listen and help someone and provide feedback. Because I have to tell you, I didn't look for that feedback, but I thankfully people like Dr. Bordy, you know, two women at my first job in Orlando, Pam Gilbert, Lou Edwards, they sat me down and said, this is how you, I thought I knew everything. I mean, and they were, they were the ones that sat me down and said, you're doing it all wrong. <laughs> and uh, you, you need to start over. Even to the point I was talking fast, right? Because 
came out of the, the Northeast and I was now in Florida. And my first market was, um, you'll remember the Smurf market. You remember that, right? Yeah. And so uh, I had the, uh, you know, all of that. And so I would call people and they're like, you're talking to a retired guy that's organizing something for maybe, you know, a military reunion. She's like, she made me dim the lights in my office. She made me tilt my chair back. And she said, sit back and pretend you're talking to someone on a date instead of talking to someone that you're trying to get all the information out. So they taught me so much again, when I was in my early twenties. And so I learned without being told that the value of finding someone that does the job really well and then getting to know them and learning from them is really valuable. Wow. And Scott, I also wanted to ask you a little bit about culture. Often we hear companies that say they are about the people and you referenced it's about the people and taking care of the people and of course the customers. Do you think that there is a way for companies to work kind of bottom up with regard to creating culture or do you think it has to go from the top down? It, for me, it, the successful ones, the company has to set the tone and, and has to lay out kind of the, the way that it's presented, right? The, the, you know, the mission, the vision, the values, the core values. I think those are important for a company to establish how they're executed and delivered and everyone lives by they have to see it in all the things that the company is responsible for, and then the employee needs to be responsible for it. So I do think it needs a little bit of a push and a nudge and say, you know, like if one of our core, core values is we do it together, for example, with the company I'm at, what does that mean? Like, and define it. And so we do it together is how we attack a problem. We don't say that you have to work with just people in your department, you need to work with people outside. And then you start sharing those stories and things like that. So um, it's both, I think you've got to, you've got to do both. And, and it's clear too, then you know that people that don't want to fit or can't fit in that culture because they prefer a different work style, which is fine, but the company needs to, to set it. And the worst thing they could do is not live by it and give examples of times when they're breaking it. So yeah, it's yeah. important they hold their end of the bargain too. Yeah, awesome. And then Scott, also from your sales background, and I get asked this question an awful lot, and I'd like to ask it of my guests. To be a great salesperson, what are some of the characteristics do you think a great salesperson needs to have, or how do they need to behave? Yeah, it's, I mean, first, it's, um, they have to have every interaction or transaction, if you want to make it that sterile, that is a win-win. It cannot be a lopsided relationship. And that's in anything. I mean, same thing with employees and culture. If ever the employee feels that they're giving more than they're getting, if ever a person that's you know working with you as a salesperson, if, if you feel you're giving more than you're getting or you're not, it doesn't work. It truly has to be a win-win um, you know, situation. I think that's, that's the first one. It's the second one too that I think is really important is you don't have to treat everyone the same to still be fair. And I think that's kind of been important for me too, is that a lot of people will say, well, you know, either those are the rules or you can't break the rules or you have to be consistent, but people are different and people have different needs. And there's different times when people do need different needs. And you need to be confident enough to be able to do that, to help someone individually, regardless of how it looks externally um, to do that. And so being a salesperson is important. So if you go into it, that everyone's the same and everyone, you know, needs to be, 
handled the same or you're worried about treating them differently, you're going to have a problem because it isn't a one size fits all world. So it's definitely not going to work in, in sales. And of course, listen more than talk, I think is also really, uh, really critical as well. But yeah, those are just a few. Yeah, no, great. And thinking about what you've been able to accomplish and how hard you've had to work, how are you able to maintain, and I'm going to use the balance word, but we can insert integration, we can insert symbiosis, we can insert whatever word we want. How were you able to find in your career with traveling, having great, you know, great kids and a lovely wife, how were you able to find that, I will say balance? Uh, I didn't for a long time. And actually the greatest influence in my life uh, for the human being I am is my wife. Um, because if not for her, I would have never had the freedom to go through all of that, the long hours and, and everything done. She's amazing. I mean, she's from the hotel business, so that helped uh, as we were going along. But, it, it, you know, sometimes she helped give me perspective when I couldn't see it myself and things uh, changed and became more comfortable in, you know, way back when it was perceived a weakness if you weren't available 24-7 or you weren't working on the Saturday or, or, or something like that. And so it wasn't until I realized what I was missing, the pressure I was putting on my wife, um, which, you know, she was amazing with. And even the pressure of, you know, feeling that one day you could lose your job. And so you're working harder to do it. And it wasn't until my wife said to me one day, she says, it doesn't matter if you lose your job. Nothing changes with us. Nothing changes with the family. And that was such a relief uh, for me because it helped me relax a little bit and realize, okay, maybe it isn't so bad. Like stop working for the wrong reasons um, and start working and knowing you have the support of someone at home that's really going to make it amazing. So I'm much better at it now. Uh, I make plans uh, to make plans and uh, balance everything. And now that my kids are out of the house, of course, it's too late for them. But with my wife, it's, it's good. I'm sure to, I do a much better job of, of doing the balance. But in the beginning, it was terrible. Yeah. Well, and I mean, I'm really happy to hear all the things that you just shared. And a lot of times it does, we have to count on our partners. So I, and you know, a little bit about my story, right? It's the early retirement package from Ritz Carlton when most of my team was losing their positions. And I told her, I said, this is what I, what I want to do full time. And she's like, okay. And it's not easy starting a new business during the pandemic. And she said, look, you know, we're fine. Even if we need to downsize, even if we, you know, we don't need this, we don't need that. We just, we just need our family. We just need to be together. So often, right. It does go out to our partners that help us. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. I mean, we've moved eight times as a family and half the time when we, and it was always for my job <laughs> uh -huh. and, um, and it was always, I was there for two days and then I had to leave to go do training or onboarding and she was with the kids and handling everything. So I mean, just unbelievably lucky. Um, and, you know, now we're in a good situation where we're supporting each other. Uh -huh. um, but yes, it, it, there's no way without having a strong partner, any of this would have, would have happened. I definitely wouldn't be here today talking to you for sure. Right, right. right. Ah, awesome. Great stuff. Um, and then just a few more questions, Scott. And again, what an honor to be able to have you on as a friend and as someone that I admire in the industry. What else do you want to learn? <laughs> I love still learning. Um, I feel that right now, um, diversity and inclusion is something that, you know, 
is coming on really strong within, I mean, Hyatt's been doing it really well for, for years and with our company, but I feel as an organization, we still have so much to learn. And so, which is why I volunteered to help be part of, you know, that learning curve. I, I don't know it. It's actually employee-led. I'm here to really just be support for the employees leading the program, but I want to be a good, you know, leader for them without overstepping and letting them, you know, experience and craft it themselves. So I feel that, that that's a big part of what I'm uh, trying to, to learn now. And, you know, a big fan of um, just the whole people side of things, right? And been lucky to do a lot of that organizational behavior. Matter of fact, it, if I wasn't in this business, I'm convinced now I didn't know it then, I would love to be an FBI serial killer profiler or a hostage negotiator because the techniques, as crazy as it sounds, are similar into understanding people's perspective and what they want and their motivations, particularly in sales. It's super helpful, but it's also helpful with employees. So I continue to push myself to learn those skills and, and techniques to just be more perceptive and making sure that people are truly happy at what they're doing and that the, the team is diverse. And so I still have plenty to, to learn from that. It's not about the job. Whatever job comes up next, I'll figure that out. But as far as the people side of it and making sure all the other boxes tick, that's the part that I just keep pushing. Noble reasoning, for sure. Last question, Scott, what advice would you have for people that are thinking about entering into, and I'll, I'll just say it broadly, the travel world, whether it's tour operating end of things, whether it's hospitality or cruises, like what advice would you have for them? Do it. I mean, I think is probably the first part, but also understand I've, I've always positioned myself of, um, you know, being of service, right? I just feel that that's kind of my role of fulfilling other people's um, dreams or, you know, whether it's travel, like being the guy that can kind of put it together. Like the best thing for me is like someone's telling me what they want to go. I got it done. I know what you want. We're going to make it happen and make it, making people happy. So I don't do it for, knowing that like, oh, I like to travel and I'm going to make that a priority and oh, I'll work during at the same time. No, this is my job and this is what I've signed up to do. So if you get into it, get into it as a career would be my advice um, to be passionate about it. Find a good mentor, find a job that makes sense um, up front. You will make mistakes for sure. There have been some jobs where I'm like, oops, I'm not quite sure this was exactly what I wanted and try to figure out, you know, how to make that the best situation. I've definitely made mistakes managing people that, you know, you regret, you think about the key ones. I definitely made mistakes on the job um, and just being able to learn from those and, and live with it. But it's really about finding a company that you're comfortable working in so that you can feel the freedom to make those mistakes and, and do it. But there's enough people around, whether you want to be a travel advisor, whether you want to be on the hotel side, the airline industry, cruising. Um, and there's nothing wrong with starting from anything. I mean, you could you know, start at a front desk clerk in a hotel. And if you're perceptive and you're doing a good job and you're getting noticed, you'll move, um, you know, at the same time. Or if you're just comfortable and want to be a, an amazing, you know, uh, sales uh, director um, and leading a team or just leading a, an area, you just find what's right for you. And along the way, you might not know, but once you're there, you'll, you'll go, okay, I really like this. Yeah. And then last question, Scott, what about resources? Like you and I have talked a lot about Penn State just because we're so very passionate and you know whether it was pete Bordy or whether it was bart bartlett i, I mean it just it, there are so many people that have 
contributed as well as, you know, the conversations and relationships with people like you or Fred Fung or Stephen Horowitz, I mean, or Ted Malloy, right? There's just, there are so many people. What advice or what suggestions would you have for people when they are trying to identify perhaps what college to go to? And then is that significant for the resources in the future? What are your thoughts with that? And I know it's a, an abstract question, but would love to hear your thoughts. Yeah, no, it's a good one. I think that the, I'm going to take it in two parts. <laughs> I think the, the resource one today is so much easier than it was. There was no LinkedIn when we, you know, we had, they were called smokers, right? That's how we got to meet people. And we used to go to the New York hotel show and hope that we could grab someone and talk to them. It's so much easier on LinkedIn and hopefully people are being receptive, but find someone with the, that's done what you want to do, or you think could be helpful and reach out to them and not the normal like link. Like I love when someone reaches out and said, Oh, I saw this and would love to find out. Do you have time for me? This, that, and the other. And absolutely I will do it. And I hope that that's, that would be what I would recommend is find what's happening near you. And there's still in all different things, there's consortias that'll help people. They have, you know, um, a young group. If people are young and want to get in, there's always a, an under 40 or under 30 type of organization that can help. Um, American Society of Travel Advisors is a, you know, a great one, ASTA. Um, so there's a ton of resources outside of college and, and in college. But if you commit and it's something that you want to go in hospitality in college, then go for it. Find, find what, what you think you want out of it. I mean, a lot of people go for maybe the hotel management side of it or restaurant or club management, but then there's a lot to go on the finance side, right? And see themselves really being the ones uh, that are asset managers, right? Get that finance background and, and want to be part of hotels, which is great too, because that's the beauty of this, this field is that it touches every industry, you know, all the way around so you can do it. So research it, do the best that you can. Um, and like any school, right? You, the program matters, but it also matters the school and the support that you'll get, but ask alumni, you know, reach yeah. out uh, from there. But yeah, again, um, luck favors the prepared, right? If you want to make sure you made the right choice for, you know, your education and school today, you have so many opportunities to find out everything yeah. about what it, I mean, at home, you'll try a Yelp, you'll look up a Yelp review or TripAdvisor before you'll buy a pizza. So yeah. why would you not for your career, try and talk to oh. as many people as possible? What great advice. And as you just shared that, there's a friend of mine that lives in Dallas and um, she's in a position of looking for a new role and she just moved to Dallas. And I said, okay, I, you know, go to Indeed or go to LinkedIn and see what are the top 10 jobs that you might be interested in. And if it's a hotel, great. They have an open position, reach out to that general manager and say, I'm new to the Dallas area. I know you're an expert with hospitality. Can I set up a five minute call? I'll send you a gift card to Starbucks so you can get coffee and we can have coffee at the same time. But I just want your opinion on, tell me about the, the feel and the vibrancy of hospitality world in Dallas, because you're the expert. Tell me about the business. And she did that. She reached out to 10 and she got three responses. And now when she's talking to a general manager, I know they're going to fall in love with her. And then the general manager here, she is probably going to say, by the way, you know, we have an open sales position. Let me direct you to talk to our director of sales and marketing. So it already went through that filtration process. So I love, love what you're saying, Scott. It's use your resources if you're serious. And the other thing that you just shared, when you and I were going to school, it was either it was restaurants it was hotels or it was institutions. 
right? <laughs> you know, it was prisons and cafeterias. And now there are so many different elements, technology, and you said finance and revenue management. There's so many more opportunities. Um, well, Scott, you have been just a wealth of information. Uh, cannot thank you enough. So proud to know you as a friend. So proud of what you have been able to accomplish. And I'm going to just read a couple of the quick takeaways because this is what sums you up. Likeable. Loves to be challenged. Double dog dare you to get things done. You continue to learn. You are prepared. You know that you can handle anything, but it's because you've done the work and you've been able to find that balance of don't take too many things too seriously. Have a great partner, use great resources, volunteer your time. And all of those things have led to, I believe, to your success and to our listeners that are taking furious notes. If they apply even one eighth of those things of what you just shared, Scott, we know that they're going to be better at their jobs. Well, I appreciate it. And, and listen, Bart, congrats to you too. I mean, you made a, a jump that many people wouldn't be able to do. You, you went to entrepreneur in the truest term, you built your brand and you're creating, you know, a, a medium for this to happen. And so uh, your role in this is super critical and uh, really well appreciated. And something that you no, know, never even crossed my you know mind about doing that and jumping it, but I have an unbelievable amount of respect um, uh, for you to be able to do that and, and be so successful at it too. So when you talk about going from this and zipping all the way through, I think if you look at your time and what you've built with most people don't, it's pretty amazing. So I'm hoping that people learn from that as well. Too. Yeah, but that, that means the world to me. So thank you, my dear friend and former Nittany Lion, you know, buddy, um, Scott Wiseman, Senior Vice President and General Manager at Apple Leisure Group. So Scott S. C-O-T-T Wiseman, W-I-S-E-M-A-N, probably LinkedIn, I guess, would be the best place to kind of learn about your background, perhaps to connect with you. Absolutely. Yeah, I welcome it. All right. Well, and again, Scott, um, thank you so much for your friendship, for your leadership, for your mentorship, for all the advice that you're sharing with me and so many others. Keep doing because you are an exceptional human being. Thank you so much, Scott. Thank you, Bart. I appreciate it.